Well, I want to ask you a question this morning. Question probably a lot of people have been asking you over the last several weeks. How is your Christmas season going? Uh, When you think of the season of Christmas, what sorts of words come into your mind? There may be a lot of different words. You may think about celebration. You may think about rest. You may think about family. You may think about good food, whatever it may be. There may be other words, though, that come into your mind when you think about the Christmas season. Words like stress. Uh, I ran across a survey several years ago that said uh, 85% of Americans are stressed by shopping. Uh, One study said that while we are Christmas shopping, our heart rates increase 33%. 88% of us while Christmas shopping experience, 88% experience tachycardia, where your heart beats abnormally fast while Christmas shopping. 14% of people say they are stressed out by their neighbor's Christmas lights, that that creates a lot of stress for them. 45% said if they could skip Christmas altogether, they would because of all the financial stress and relational stress that often comes along with this season. So it may be that while on the one hand you have words like joy, uh, words like celebration, on the other hand you may also have words like stress, exhaustion, debt, weight gain, grief. There may be a whole lot of other words or phrases that come into your mind that aren't associated with joy. I know for our family, last Christmas, I wouldn't describe it as a peaceful time uh, because two weeks before Christmas, our entire house flooded. And so we had to move out and we spent our Christmas season on the phone with the insurance company and all of the people who could put our home back together. And so when we think about the Christmas of 2018, peace is not the first word that comes into our minds. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm going to guess that the word peace might not be the very first word that always comes into your mind when you think about Christmas. And yet... It is a word that is at the center of the Christmas story. The word peace is right at the center of the Christmas story. Uh, We uh, lit the shepherd candle earlier this morning. And if you remember when the angels appeared to the shepherds out in that field near Bethlehem on the very first Christmas, uh, they said a whole lot of things to the shepherds. But let me read some of what they said to the shepherds. uh, Here's these shepherds out in the field. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Then verses 13 to 14, this is where I want to focus this morning. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. You and I may not always think about the word peace when we think about Christmas, but peace is at the heart of the Christmas message. So here's really the question I want us to ask ourselves this morning. How can we feel the peace and have the peace that the angels announced to the shepherds? 
How can we know that we have that peace in the midst of the chaos of Christmas, in the midst of the very real trials of Christmas, in the midst for some of us at Christmas time, in the midst maybe of grief and of pain? How do we experience peace? Is it even possible? How can we be people of peace and how can we also be people who proclaim, not only live peace, but proclaim peace in the midst of a chaotic, broken, sinful, painful world? That's what I want to talk about this morning. I don't know where you are in terms of how you entered the room. I know for some of you, you entered the room in a state of joy, in a state of excitement and anticipation for Christmas. Maybe right now, everything is going the way you want it to go in your life, or at least enough things are going that way that you feel joyful and peaceful. It may be that you entered the room, though, in a state of stress, in a state of exhaustion, in a state of grief. It may be for some of us, you feel joy today, and within a week, that may flip. Or you feel grief today, and within a week, you may feel joy, or even this afternoon. And so our state of mind tends to shift based on the circumstances of our lives. What I want to talk about this morning is how can we find a lasting, permanent, never will change type of peace? Because that's what the angels are announcing in the name of Jesus Christ when they appear to the shepherds in Luke 2. The kind of peace that does not change or shift in the face of circumstances. That's what I want to look at this morning, and I want to begin here simply by saying this. Everybody longs for peace. Now, I want to talk for a few minutes about what the Bible says that peace is, because if if you and I think about the word peace, probably the main thing that comes into our minds is an absence of conflict, right? If I have peace, I'm not at conflict with you, our nation if it is at peace, would not be in conflict with another nation. That, that tends to be the thing that we think about. But when we read the Bible, we have this idea of peace, or the Hebrew word is shalom. You've probably heard that word. It's a whole lot bigger than absence of conflict. When you look at the word shalom, and I'm going to show you a couple of passages from the Old Testament. When we look at this concept of peace, the peace that God wants to bring us, it's so much bigger than absence of conflict. It it means a fullness of life, harmony with God, harmony with others, hope for the future. Shalom even includes the idea that my life, in my life, I have everything I need. I have enough food. I have enough water. I have shelter. I have clothing. I have everything I need. That's the idea of shalom. Everything is right. Let me show you a couple of passages. First of all, from Numbers chapter 6, when the high priest was supposed to bless the people of Israel. Here's what the high priest would say, his high priestly blessing toward the people of Israel. He said this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord Lord, turn his face toward you and give you what? Give you shalom. The greatest blessing from the highest priest in the land was this, that God would turn his face toward you, shine on you, and give you his peace. Give you his shalom. Shalom is the idea that you and I experience the favor of God in such a way that we can say all is right with God and all is right with the world. When you get to the book of Ezekiel, 
As the nation of Israel has experienced trouble with the enemies around them, they've experienced famine, they've experienced war and insecurity, they're really struggling. You get to the prophet Ezekiel, and Ezekiel says this to the people. On behalf of God, he says, God will make a covenant of peace with them. I will make a covenant of peace, of shalom with the people of Israel. Look what he's going to do. Look what's involved in this shalom. I will eliminate harmful beasts from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will make them in the places around my hill a blessing. And I will cause showers to come down in their season. They will be showers of blessing. Also the tree of the field will yield its fruit and the earth will yield its increase and they will be secure on their land. Then they will know that I am the Lord. When I have delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them, they will no longer be a prey to the nations, and the beasts of the earth will not devour them, but they will live securely, and no one will make them afraid. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people. Here's what Ezekiel says. He says, a day is coming when I will speak peace to the people of Israel. I'll give them all they need. They won't have to worry about enemies. The animals won't even attack them. There will be harmony between the people and the animals. There will be harmony between people and other people. There will be harmony between God and people. They won't be afraid anymore. They will have a sense of inner peace. He says the day is coming when this fullness of shalom is going to happen for you and it's going to happen for the world. Right, so Ezekiel says, you need to look for that peace. You see this idea of shalom. It's that idea that everything is right. I'm getting along with you. I'm getting along with God. I have all that I need. In your life, my guess is you have experienced moments where you have felt this way, this feeling of peace. Maybe there's some vacation spot that you love to go with your family. I want you to picture for just a minute an idyllic moment when you are in the car or the minivan or whatever it is with your family and you're driving to the mountains and you're headed to a place of beauty and at the moment you and your spouse are in harmony, you're getting along. You're listening to music you like. The children in the back are peaceful. They're enjoying the scenery. They're saying kind things to one another Would you like to share my snack? Whatever it may be. (laughs) The gas tank is full. You got clothes on your back. You got food in your stomach. Everything is right. That is the feeling of shalom. You look around, you go, this is the way that life is meant to be. And then invariably something happens to disrupt it. You say or do something And your spouse begins to cry, and you don't know why. Tire goes flat, you run out of gas, check engine light comes on, child number one starts to choke child number two to take the popcorn or whatever it is, and the shalom disappears. See, here's our problem. We have moments of peace, but we struggle to find lasting peace. We have these memories, I think, at times, uh, implanted into our DNA. We have these memories of what life must have been like in the Garden of Eden. When God creates Adam and Eve, and he places them in the Garden of Eden, and for a period of time, they are at harmony with one another, and they are at harmony with God, and they're at harmony with the world itself. Everything works the way it's supposed to. 
But then it all came crashing down. Because they, like we, they chose to disobey God. They chose to say, God, I don't want the shalom, the peace that you offer. I want to try to make my own way. I want to do what I want to do. And ever since that moment, we have these fleeting glimpses of what things could be like. But it never lasts. So we long for it. We long for it. And as we move throughout the scripture, we see these promises begin to emerge, especially in the prophets, where God says, I want you to wait because the day is coming. I promise the day is coming when I will restore shalom. I'll restore peace. The world will be the way that it is supposed to be again. So the angel comes at that first Christmas and says to these shepherds out in the field, says, peace on earth among those on whom God's favor rests. They say all the promises of peace, all the promises of shalom are going to be fulfilled in this baby Jesus. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to restore the peace, the shalom that was broken at the fall. In Genesis chapter 3. The problem that we have is that we want shalom, we want peace, we want this wholeness of life, and we try to find it. We work hard to find it. So we get jobs that we believe will provide enough in the bank account and provide enough significance and security that we can chase after shalom. We marry people that we believe will help us find that shalom, that peace. We engage in activities or in our community or in friendships. We make friendships that we believe will help us find that shalom. And all of our lives, we chase after it. And we have varying degrees of success. But to one degree or another, we never seem to be able to undo the effects of that brokenness that happened at the fall. Everything we place our faith in eventually lets us down. Uh, earlier this week, I was trying to pack up some leftover food and put it in the fridge. So I went into a drawer and I pulled out uh, the roll of aluminum foil that I was going to use to cover the Tupperware or whatever it was that I had the food in. And so I grabbed the, the box that the roll was in with one hand and I began to unroll the aluminum foil with the other hand and I accidentally dropped the box. And so the entire roll just sort of unraveled before my eyes. So I had about 15 feet of aluminum foil running across the kitchen floor. And I thought, I can fix this. So I picked up the roll, and I began to roll it back together. I don't know if you've ever tried this. It is extremely difficult to impossible to re-roll aluminum foil in a way that appears functional after it's already been unrolled. So I roll it up, and as I'm re-rolling it, it's just, you know, it's getting bigger and bigger and more and more crinkly. And I, I roll it up and I kind of try to shove it in that little box and I fit it back in the drawer and I think, no one's going to notice that. <laughs> it took about three hours. Shannon comes home and she needs the aluminum foil and she opens it up and she goes, I wonder what happened here. And I go, I, you know, we, we have kids and stuff happens. I, I don't know, you know. No, I fessed up. 
I said, I tried, Dad, and I know it looks like the work of a toddler, but I promise I did my best. And she said, you know, all you really can do is just, just tear it off, just throw it away. We can't use that foil in the way it's intended. So we, we tore it off and threw it away. And I thought about that later, and I, I thought, you know, I think that's what we often try to do with the world and with our lives. Right? It all comes unraveled in Genesis chapter 3. And what we do is we grab the roll and we go, okay, I can fix this. This is not that bad. It's all right. If I work hard enough, if I surround myself with the right people, if I vote for the right party, if I have enough money in the bank, if I eat well enough and I exercise well enough, I can put back in the tube all of the damaging and destructive effects of sin and death and brokenness. The problem is we can't. We can't. Because we lack the power. So what the angel comes to say at that first Christmas is you can't. But Jesus can. You know, sometimes I've read this passage and I've thought, you know, what did these shepherds really have to worry about? They think they had problems. I've got problems. Right? They're just shepherds. They just got a few sheep. But the reality is that in the first century, the, the Jewish world was a place of chaos and conflict. They were subjugated by the Roman government. The Jewish people had had a succession of evil kings and evil priests who took advantage of the nation and stole from them. They were harassed and they were distressed and their government was corrupt and there was conflict even amongst their own nation. And shepherds had a lot to worry about because all it took was one bad day and a lion takes your sheep, you lose half your flock and you go broke and you starve. And into that fear steps this angel. Says, I don't want you to be afraid. Because God is good to you to bring peace. We read this passage a week or two ago from Isaiah chapter 9. This peace, as we mentioned, had been foretold. Isaiah chapter 9. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah says there's someone coming who's going to be the Prince of Shalom. He's going to bring it back. And the angel announces to the shepherds, he's here. He's here. How does Jesus restore Shalom then? Well, you and I know that that baby grew to be a man. Fully God, fully human. He lives a perfect, sin-free life. The life that we cannot live because we are broken by sin and we're rebellious against God. Jesus lives a perfect, sin-free life. And then what he does is he goes to the cross on our behalf. He takes on himself the death that we have earned. See, the, the most devastating consequence of sin is that we, we are irreconcilable with God apart from God's intervention. We're enemies of God. And that enmity leads us to death, physical death and spiritual death. Jesus takes it on himself as the infinite once-for-all sacrifice. And then he rose again. 
So that Romans chapter 5 now says this, therefore, having been justified by faith, that is, when you believe in Jesus, you are made right again with God. He says, because of that, we have what? We have peace. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The restoration of shalom in the world, the restoration of shalom in our relationships begins with the restoration of shalom between us and God. What Jesus came to tell us and came to fix is the reality that our sin separates us from God. Instead of peace with God, we are enemies of God because we have chosen to be enemies. And so Jesus came to say, I want to bridge that gap again and restore your peace with God. And then the beautiful thing as you you read throughout the rest of the letters of the New Testament is that once we have peace with God, here's what happens. We begin to have peace again with one another. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. What are the two groups? The two groups in Ephesians are Jews and Gentiles. Two groups who literally would not eat together or serve God in the same vicinity. And here's what Paul says, because Jesus brought us peace with God. Now these two groups who were separated by a dividing wall can be together again. Why? Because God has given us peace with him. Jew and Gentile now can be cleansed before God by believing in Jesus. And therefore, we all are now united in the spirit of Jesus Christ as one body, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. Every group on earth reconciled towards shalom, shalom with God, leads to shalom toward others. And ultimately what we see is the entire world is restored to that peace eventually. Revelation chapter 21, at the very end of the New Testament, gives us a picture of the coming peace of God, the coming shalom. John the Apostle, in a vision, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. You see what God does in Jesus Christ is he says, I know you dropped the role and it's all messed up. And then he undoes all of the effects of sin and death and the fall. He fixes it once for all. And he says, peace with God is such that now God will live among you. All those who know Jesus Christ from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation on earth will live together under one kingdom. Romans chapter 8 tells us that all creation is groaning, waiting its redemption. 
the devastation that we see in this world is all a result of sin. And through Jesus Christ, God undoes all of the effects of the fall. So right now, we live in an in-between period of time. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Jesus ascended into heaven. And we sang about it earlier. One day we believe that he will return. But he's not back yet. And so we live in this sort of in-between time where we say, I know what God has accomplished. But I know the day is coming when shalom will be restored. And so we see the end of the story. So we have reconciliation with God. We can have reconciliation with others. And even in the midst of chaos, we can look ahead. And like Romans 8 tells us, God is working all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean everything that happens right now is good. There's still stress. There's still chaos. There's still pain. There's still grief. But we're in the middle of a story we know the ending to. I want to I take a trip with you for a moment back in time to 2018 when Texas A&M played LSU. And yes, you're whooping. And the reason you are is because you remember the game. But as you were watching the game, did you feel stressed? Did you experience tachycardia where your heart rate went up? Above usual. Absolutely, I did. You know what's even, even crazier? Some of you will remember there was a moment at the end of regulation play where it looked like our quarterback had thrown an interception and the game was over. Admit it, some of you turned off the TV and you went to bed in disgust. And you woke the next morning to find that in a seven-overtime game, A&M had won. 74 to 72. Now imagine that this afternoon, because I've given this inspiring illustration, you decide, I want to go watch that game again. So you pull it down, you put it up on your TV, you begin to watch it again. Would the experience of watching it now vary from the experience the first time? Absolutely. Why? Because you know how it ends. Now what's interesting is you're probably still going to enjoy it. It's still going to be interesting. You're going to enjoy those plays. You might even get a little bit worked up at some of the things that have happened in the game. And the things that happen in the game, the setbacks and the stresses and the losses of the moment are still very real. But what's going to happen to you? You're going to be calm. Because you know the score. You know the end. Here's the message of peace in the New Testament over and over and over again. You know the score. You know the end. Satan loses, God wins. Sin loses, God wins. Death loses, God wins. And all those upon whom God's favor rests, that is every person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, will have peace. A shalom that begins now. And extends into eternity. It's astounding. That's what the angel comes to proclaim. On the first Christmas. 
regardless of what's going on now, we can have peace in Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, if you're in the room and you don't know that you know Jesus Christ, it is important to understand what the angel was saying. He says, peace to those on whom God's favor or God's grace and mercy rests. Who are those? Those are the people who say, I believe that this Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in Him I can have life forever and shalom that never ends. If you know Him, if you know His peace, you have an opportunity to be a messenger of that peace. Because we've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, we now have the opportunity to be active ambassadors of that peace. That we walk every day into a world that is longing for shalom, just like we are. But we know the score. And so Paul would say in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul says, this is my mission in life. I want to go into the world and I want to proclaim the reconciliation that God has accomplished in Jesus Christ. That's our mission. Because all around us are men and women who don't know shalom. They want it. They long for it. They need it. And we have the message. And the great news is that peace has been accomplished through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's it's not merely a duty to share the good news of Jesus. It's a privilege. It's a joy. I don't know how many of you, if, if I asked you just offhand, could tell me the story of uh, the holiday Juneteenth. Some of you know it, some of you don't know it, but what you may not know is that Juneteenth is actually a uniquely Texas holiday. Let me give you a little bit of the background in case you're unfamiliar with it, because uh, for many, many years I was. You, You may remember January of 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation declaring that all of the slaves in the Confederate States were free. They were declared free by the government of the United States. Of course, the war was still going on. So for two and a half more years, the Civil War rages until April of 1965, when General Lee surrenders to General Grant at the Appomattox Courthouse. Most of you know that story. But guess what? In Texas... The word still hadn't reached those slaves that they were free. Nobody told them. They were legally free. They'd been declared free. The southern states were rejoining the Union, but they were still living in slavery. So on June 19, 1865, General Granger came as a representative of the federal government from Washington into Galveston. And on June 19th, he stood and he proclaimed, the slaves in Texas are free. First, they'd heard of it. They didn't know. Now imagine that. For two and a half years, they were legally free. But they didn't know. Even for the past two months, the war had been over. 
They could have left at any time and begun to experience freedom, but they didn't know because nobody told them. And I've always thought, I wonder how General Granger felt getting to carry that message. It was his duty. He was commissioned by the United States Army to go deliver that message in Galveston. It was a duty, but I I imagine that he saw it as a joy. I get to declare the freedom of people who don't know they can walk out today and be free. That's our commission. If Jesus Christ has set us free, then we carry a message of peace. A message that all who will trust in Jesus Christ can have freedom that Jesus, with his death and resurrection, has already secured. So we get to be messengers of peace. So as we close then, as we, as we walk into the Christmas season, I want to offer a few thoughts by way of application. The first one is this. Simply take time to remember God's peace. This afternoon, go read Luke chapter 2. Read the announcement that the angels made to the shepherds. Peace on earth among men upon whom God's favor rests. And remember the reconciliation and the peace that God has promised. Remember that even in the midst of wherever you are, and again, I say this not to minimize or downplay any grief, any pain, any sorrow, any stress, but to say we know the score. And so remember God's peace. Secondly, become a peacemaker. Peace with God results in reconciliation between us and other people. And I know that often during this period of time, we tend to experience more conflict than at other times of the year. Because maybe we come into contact with family members we haven't seen in a while, and we have unresolved conflict. Or maybe the stress within our own household produces additional conflict with our kids, with our spouses, maybe even with our neighbors. And the call to us in Jesus Christ is to say, because God has reconciled me to himself. I was an enemy, now I am a friend. I can walk into all those situations and I can be a peacemaker by bringing into each situation the forgiveness, the mercy, and the grace of God. Become a peacemaker. And then thirdly, proclaim peace. I would encourage you over the course of the next week and a half, two weeks until Christmas is upon us, begin to think about your sphere of influence. Begin to open up your eyes and your mind and your heart as you interact with people, whether at work or in your neighborhood or at your favorite restaurant or wherever it may be. Begin to pray. Pick one or two people in your sphere of influence. And say, God, I want to have the opportunity to be that kind of ambassador of peace, a messenger of reconciliation who proclaims to people who don't yet know that Jesus set them free, that they're no longer slaves, no longer slaves to sin, to death, or to the enemy. Who will be those men and women who will hear the message of peace and reconciliation that God has given us in Jesus Christ? Jesus came to bring shalom, and he offers it freely. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful for your word. We thank you that although we were sinners, Christ died for us. 
But he did not wait to provide us with peace until we cleaned up or were all better. Father, I pray we would not place our hope for peace in those things of this world that disappoint us, but instead in you and in your son, Jesus. Father, I pray we would be people of peace, people of reconciliation. If there are conflicts in our lives, I pray we would actively seek reconciliation this season in the spirit of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, if there are any in this room who don't yet have peace with you through Jesus, that this morning would be the morning that your spirit would convict and lead them to faith in Jesus. And Father, I pray for those men and women that we know that don't yet know that you, you have set us free in Jesus. We pray we would be ambassadors and proclaimers of his peace. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.